So yesterday we had a birthday party for my middle son Sam. Um, his birthday's not till the end of the month, but his great grandmother leaves for Florida on Wednesday this week. So we had to get a birthday party in before she left, or it would have been this whole thing. Um, so we went up to my parents yesterday to have a birthday party for Sam, and uh, the only present from our household that we took up there with us uh, was the present that Ben had picked for Sam. Ben's our oldest. And um, the day that Ben picked this present out, I took, uh, it was actually the same day Sam had his, his surgery. And I took Ben and Solomon out of the house so that Cindy and Sam could, could take care of stuff. Um, and we found ourselves at Once Upon a Child uh, while we were waiting for our Chinese food to to be cooked. Um, and I told Ben, I said, Ben, here is $5. Go find something for Sam's birthday. And he found this little, like, Hot Wheels shark thing. Uh, I mean, it's pretty cool. Um, but yesterday was so exciting to me because... Ben wanted to make sure Sam opened the gift that he got him. And, you know, he was watching him like a hawk, just wanting to see Sam's reaction. So Sam, like, started tearing one corner, and Ben's like, do you love it? Do you love it? Do you love it? Is, is it the best? Like, like, here, let me help you. And it struck me how perfect an image that is uh, for anything good we do, right? That, you know, we, we, we choose to uh, spend some of the time we've been given or some of the resources we've been given um, to be a blessing in the life of someone else. Uh, and, 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 and there's part of us that's like, oh, yeah, I get to do this thing. This is great. I feel good. They feel good. This is awesome. Um, but in reality, like, that $5 wasn't Ben's $5, Right? Like, like, it was out of the overflow of the generosity of his father that he was able to get something for his brother. And we live in this exact same reality, that we are living out of the overflow of the generosity of God. And when we, when we realize that, when we live with this as our baseline assumption about all the time in our calendar and all the money in our bank account, it shifts the way that we see the world around us. It, it changes the way that, that we think about um, a, uh, a fruitful use of our time and energy and money. Because when we realize that, that none of it is truly ours, that it's all been given to us by a God who loves us and, and that we are operating out of his generosity, it shifts the way that we make decisions, especially those that impact the people who are around us. Our, uh, our text today comes from uh, the book of Malachi. And, and Malachi is, is really interesting. Um, if you like uh, like the Perry Mason show, um, or uh, 
you know, the, uh, oh, what was Andy Griffith's uh, show from Matlock? I mean, like, like these courtroom dramas, right? The, uh, the book of Malachi is for you. Um, because Malachi is, it, it's essentially a hearing in a courtroom before the Father. Um, like we, we see time and time again, uh, God makes a claim, and then the, the Israelite people respond, What? Like, that's us? No. And then God lays out the case for why this claim is true. So, I mean, it, it begins, you know, chapter 1, verse 2 I have loved you, says the Lord. And the people respond, How have you loved us? Uh, it goes on again, we see in uh, verse 6. Uh, your priests show contempt for your name. And the priests say, how have we shown contempt for your name? And, and it goes through. And, and uh, you know, spoiler alert. At the end of the day, all of it comes back to a failure to trust. A failure to be obedient. Where, uh, where God's claims against the people are, they are based around this, this central claim. I've loved you. I've promised to take care of you and you've put your trust someplace else. To the priest, he says, I told you to bring me your first and your best, and you're sacrificing the scraps. Do you not trust me that when you bring me your first and your best, I will take care of you? And this uh, this continues on and on um, until we get to uh, chapter th- 3, well, I mean, beginning in chapter 2, but into chapter 3, and we see God respond to, uh, one, his, his weariness, and then secondly, respond to the question, how are we to return? How are we to get back to this place that, where you want us? How do we get back to the place where our lives are marked by obedience and trust how do we get back to the relationship that you desire to have with us? This becomes the, uh, the big question in chapter 3. So in verse 6, uh, God says, I do not change, so you will not be destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees, and you have not kept them. But return to me, and I will return to you. And they say, how are we to return? And God responds, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God responds, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. You know, this is a text that we've heard on several occasions. But if we miss the context of what's going on in the book of Malachi, we miss the whole game. This is... Uh, this isn't existing somewhere in a vacuum. And when, uh, when God is 
accusing them of robbing him. Um, it, it, it's, it's not in the sense of like, uh, you know, if some vandal comes and takes the garden gnome off your front porch. Right? It's, it's, it's not a... It's not robbing in the sense of God has this material thing that they've taken from God. It's the relationship that God desires to have with His people. They are robbing themselves and Him of that opportunity through their behavior. So it's it's more like... um, you know, when I used to tell my mom, Mom, you're robbing me of my right as an American to play football. Now, I was even shorter then, uh, so she did it out of great love for me, but, but it, is, it is robbing of an experience, robbing of a relationship, not robbing of stuff. So God tells the Israelites that in failing to trust me with your resources you have robbed yourself and you've robbed me of the relationship that I desire to have with you. We're uh, we're talking about what it looks like to be an everyday missionary, what it looks like to be uh, someone who on a daily basis chooses to be a fearless, selfless follower of Jesus. Um, and, and for me, as I've been preparing for uh, this series and thinking through what it looks like to be a, a missionary, you know, I've been uh, reading some biographies of missionaries. Um, and you know, we come back to our good friend Hudson Taylor, um, I've talked about him before, I'll talk about him some more, because the guy, I mean, he's, when I think about what it looks like to trust God with every ounce of your being, um, this 19th century Englishman wearing Chinese clothing with a Chinese haircut is what comes to mind. Because he was uh, the first missionary um, from the West who, who really... Uh, decided to go all in with a gospel that was contextual for the community that he was going into. So uh, unlike, um, you know, so, so I had a, a friend uh, in college whose family came from in India, uh, and his name was Danny Johnson. His mother and his father were both from India. Their family had lived in the country of India for generations, his name was Danny Johnson. Because when the missionaries got to that community, they said part of being a Christian is getting rid of your Indian names and taking on these English names. Now, Hudson Taylor on the other, he he went the other direction, right? Like like there's nothing inherently bad with, with Chinese culture. But I want to share with you the good news of Jesus. But he didn't get there initially. Um, In his journal, he talks about uh, one of the events of his life that that really affirmed for him uh, this 
this reality that he could trust God in all things. Um, I'm going to read most of this, and it's a little bit long, so I apologize, but it's really, really good, so bear with me. Uh, he writes in his journal that after concluding my last service about 10 o'clock that night, a poor man asked me to go and pray with his wife, saying that she was dying, and I readily agreed. And on the way, I asked him why he had not sent for the priest. And he told me that he was an Irishman, and he had done so, but the priest refused to come without a payment of 18 pence, which the man did not possess, and the family was starving. So immediately it occurred to my mind that all the money I had in the world was the solitary half-crown, and that it was in one coin, moreover, and that while the basin of water gruel I usually took for supper was waiting me, and there was sufficient in the house for, breaking in, for, for breakfast in the morning, I certainly had nothing for dinner on the coming day. So, he's broke, but not as broke as this family he's going to visit. So he gets to their house and he says, Ah, if only I had two shillings and a sixpence instead of a half crown, I would gladly give these poor people a shilling. But to part with the half crown was far from my thoughts. I little dreamed that the truth of the matter simply was that I could trust God plus one and sixpence, but was not prepared to trust him only without any money at all in my pocket. He goes on uh, and uh, so, so he comes to the family. Uh, he says he has to go up to flight of stairs into this wretched room. Oh, and what a sight that presented itself. Four or five children stood about their sunken cheeks and temples, telling unmistakably the story of slow starvation. And lying on a wretched pallet was a poor, exhausted mother with a tiny infant, 36 hours old, moaning rather than crying at her side. And awe, thought I, if I had two shillings and sixpence instead of half a crown, how gladly should they have one and sixpence of it. But still, the wretched unbelief prevented me from obeying the impulse to relieve their distress at the cost of all I possessed. And I began to tell them uh, that they must not be cast down, that, that though their circumstances were very distressing, there was a kind and loving Father in heaven. But something within me cried, you hypocrite, telling these unconverted people about a kind and loving Father in heaven and not preparing yourself to trust him with half a crown. I nearly choked, for how gladly would I have compromised with conscience if I had a florin and sixpence. I would have given the florin thankfully and kept the rest, but I was not yet prepared to trust in God alone without the sixpence." To talk was impossible under these circumstances. Yet strange to say, I thought I should have no difficulty in praying. Prayer was a delightful occupation in those days. Time thus spent never seemed wearisome, and I knew no lack of words. I seemed to think that all I should have to do would be to kneel down and pray, and that relief would come to them and myself together. You asked me to come and pray with your wife, I said to the man. Let us pray. But no sooner had I opened my lips with our Father who art in heaven than conscience said within me, Dare you mock God? Dare you kneel down and call him Father with your half crown in your pocket? 
Such a time of conflict then came upon me as I have never experienced before. How I got through that form of prayer I know not, and whether the words uttered were connected or disconnected. But I arose from my knees with great distress of mind. So I put my hand into my pocket, and slowly drawing out the half crown, gave it to the man, telling him that it might seem a small matter of for me to relieve them, but that what I had been trying to tell them was indeed true, that God really was a father and might be trusted, and how the joy came back in full flood tide to my heart. I could say anything and feel it then, and the hindrance of blessing was gone. Gone, I trust forever. And he goes on to say, If we are faithful to God in little things, we shall gain the experience and strength that will be helpful to us in the more serious trials of life. If we are faithful to God in little things, we shall gain experience and strength that will be helpful to us in the more serious trials of life. That's the point of having these conversations. Uh, that's the point of us coming together as our family units and as a church family to say, how can I choose to use the resources that God has given me in a way that will draw me closer to him? Because the, the reality is that, that the way Jesus talks about money in the Bible, it's never neutral. Either the way we are using our resources are bringing us closer to God, or they're pushing us away. And chances are, if we aren't intentionally using our resources to draw us closer to God, then money will slowly become a God in our lives. But here the way... That God describes those who are faithful to the relationship, those who are choosing trust and obedience. In 312, then all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Blessed, delightful. This is not typically the language we think of when we see our bank accounts going down, when we see money going out of our pocket. So, so last night, um, you know, Cindy and I had, had the conversation about what the next year will look like. Um, you know, we, we did sort of some budget projections of what's, um, you know, when she gets you know, her raise from the hospital later in the year, and, um, you know, when my new paycheck comes in, what that'll look like. Um, and that's such a powerful conversation because once more it affirmed uh, something that, that we've come to discover is absolutely true, that we can't outgive God. You know, we went back and we thought about our budgeting process the year before, and honestly, we were scared. We said, you know, 
we think we can make it, but this feels like a stretch. You know, this, this percentage that we are, um, that we are committing to, uh, to, to give back to God, um, you know, through Trinity and through, you know, a missionary we support and a, and a kid in, in Africa who, um, who we help support. It's like, we're like, yeah, this is, this is going to be tight. I'm not sure if this is smart. I think it's faithful, but I'm not sure it's smart. But as we sat down last night and looked through the year's um, you know, finance, it's like, you know, ultimately faithfulness is smart. Because we can't outgive God. And this is this is the question that, that we've been wrestling with together as a community. You know, what does it look like to um, to faithfully choose to use our resources in such a way that it's going to draw us nearer to God. And um, in a moment, if you didn't bring your uh, estimate of giving cards, um, I think Brian's going to hand them out, or maybe he has already. Okay, Brian, Brian will. Um, and we're just going to take a moment, and, and once more, we'll have the opportunity to kind of cluster together in our family units and, and ask the question, um, what does faithfulness look like? Uh, what does it look like to, um, to embrace the relationship that God desires to have with us uh, by by using our resources in such a way um, that we have to trust him. When we use our, our resources obediently, we, we have to trust God to come through. Um, so in a moment, uh, Brian will be passing those cards out, and, and together we'll, uh, we'll take time to kind of you know, cluster together as, as, as families, and we can ask that question. Um, and hopefully you've already done it this week. If you went through the seven-day prayer guide, that was part of... Um, part of what you did together. Uh, but if not, um, you know, we'll, we'll sing uh, our final hymn, uh, Blessed Assurance, um, and then we'll take uh, probably uh, two minutes for prayer, uh, two minutes for winking and nodding at one another, um, and then we will, uh, then uh, Rosemary has some more songs for us, and we'll bring our estimate of, of giving cards forward. Um, now, Again, it is an estimate of giving card. Like, don't, don't feel great anxiety about this experience. Um, if, uh, if an awful thing happens and, and where you work goes belly up during the year, um, uh, Julie isn't going to come to your house uh, demanding that you catch up on your estimate of giving, right? Like, that's, that's not going to happen. That's... You know, don't feel anxiety around that. But what this is, is this is an opportunity for us to uh, affirm within ourselves and before God that we want to trust Him. That we want to take a step in obedience, that we want to take a step in trust and uh, experience more of the relationship that God wants to have with us. So let's pray. 
Most holy and gracious God, we don't want to rob ourselves or rob you of the relationship that you want to have with us. Lord, we want to know the peace that comes when you when you provide. We want to know the, the joy that comes when we are prepared to be generous and kind to those in need. Lord, when we bring you our first and our best, it proves your trustworthiness so that we can handle anything that comes our way. Lord, give us the courage this day to trust you more. Lord, we don't give because you are broke. We don't give because you are incompetent. We don't give because you are insecure. For Lord, none of that is true. We give because we want to experience the fullness of relationship with you. Lord, help us trust you once more, and we'll give you the honor and the praise and the glory, for you are worthy. Amen.